It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Coming up at 9.15, we're going to be joined by Jake Liskow, who covers the Cincinnati Bengals. And at 9.30, Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. Both of those from Radio Row, which is where we assume Jared Justice actually is this morning, uh, potentially getting us some guests. But in the meantime, here's a fun story from The Athletic. Vic Tafer of The Athletic had this story, kind of a, a look behind the scenes a little bit at the Raiders head coaching search and how they ended up getting Josh McDaniels. But one of the details here is that Ken Hirock was the, uh, quote, ringleader of the Raiders coaching search. Um, according to Mark Davis, when they interviewed candidates, Ken Hirock basically asked all the questions. Uh, Ken Hirock, he played tight end for the Raiders. He's uh, at one point was in Atlanta in their front office when they traded away Brett Favre. He's worked in the NFL in front offices, was played in the NFL as well. He's also 80 years old. In that story that Vic Tafer wrote, he got asked, Ken Hirock did, about Josh McDaniels' time with the Broncos when Josh McDaniels was the coach for a year and a half and got fired. Ken Hirock said, the Broncos, we didn't even bring that up. I don't give a bleep about the Broncos. I was a young guy, and I was 0-26 at Tampa Bay. I know it's tough, but within four years, I was in the NFC Championship game. How does it make you feel about the Raiders head coaching search that when they interviewed Josh McDaniels, they did not ask him about the only head coaching experience that he has? <laughs> it is confusing. I mean, it is confusing. Hey, so what happened at that last time you held this very same position? Right? Just gloss right over that. That I, I cannot get over that detail. That and they I, did not ask Josh McDaniels about the only... They're interviewing him to be their head coach. He's been a head coach once before, and they didn't even ask him about it. It's And let's also not forget that he was the coach that believed in Tim Tebow enough to draft him in the first Trade round. Trade up. Trade up and, and get him Tim in Tebow. the first round round yes yikes and they did not ask him about that and then when asked about it by a media member says i don't give a bleep about the broncos but here's the other an part 80 year old an 80 year old which yeah. which i which when an 80 year old swears like that it's fun yeah it's it fills my heart up but here's the other part that's very confusing ken hirock when trying to defend why they didn't ask josh mcdaniels about the broncos he said i was a young guy and i was owen 26 at tampa bay and in four years, we were in the NFC Championship game. All right, a couple of problems there. A, Ken Hirock was not the head coach. He was just with the Tampa Bay organization, and they sucked. They were 0-26. What does that have to do, though, with Josh McDaniels as the head coach of the Broncos? Like, why is that relevant to Josh McDaniels as the head coach of the Broncos? I think what he's trying to say is, guys, we really don't know anything until we see him on the field. I think that's just the way of him him trying to get around this question. But we've seen him on the field, yeah, and I know. it was a disaster. Yeah, but like, he's over here. But, <laughs> that's the thing. And it's, they didn't ask him about it. It's this whole way of him just going, guys, remember that one year he was head coach of the Denver Broncos? No, you don't. Forget it. <laughs> it never existed. And... Here's the other thing that I find funny about Ken Hirock bringing up this whole, because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they started at when they became a franchise in the NFL, they started 0-26. They lost their first six or first 26 games as a franchise. And he's saying, well, that, you know, we sucked. And then in year four, we made the NFC championship game. In year five, they went 5-10-1. Like they immediately went back to sucking right away. 
Like they had one outlier year where they won 10 games and made it to but the out NFC of those championship. Six years. And and Ken Hirok is trying to I don't again, I can't comprehend what his logic here is. He's trying to say, "Listen, I think the reason why you're having a hard time comprehending is it's because it's coming from the mind of an 80-year-old guy." <laughs> That's who led the coaching search apparently. <laughs> but like I can't comprehend that argument because is he trying to say that okay, if Josh McDaniel sucks for 4 years, we're going to hold on to him because he might make the NFC or AFC championship game because that's what I did. Like, I can't comprehend the logic of, well, this one time I sucked a lot. And then we had one season where we won 10 games and then we went back to sucking, but that's why I didn't ask Josh McDaniels about why he sucked with the Broncos. That's almost what I feel like he's doing. He's almost telling the Raider fan base. He's like, guys, lower those expectations. <laughs> we got the right guy, but They're give it some time. Yeah. Give it some time. The Raiders made the playoffs. <laughs> yes. and it was like the greatest season in two decades yes. of Raider football. Couldn't believe it. Right. With all the off-field garbage that went down, they still made the playoffs, but... You're going to compare it to a team that lost their first 26 games. There is no comparison. I I think that's his problem. He's trying to make a valid comparison on the spot, and it came off completely wrong. Well, because he's trying to deflect from the fact that they didn't ask the guy they hired to be the head coach about the only time that guy's been a head coach. Right. Like, how? If you were interviewing for another radio station's job, you think they'd ask you about what you do in your current job? I, I would think so. I will say this. Um, we have seen coaches start off with teams and they didn't have the success. And then they finally got everything in place and they started to win. Josh McDaniel, who was the, who was their quarterback when he was with Denver? Not Tim Tebow. I mean, there was a quarterback that was starting before they started. Well, they Tebow. traded Jay Cutler. The first thing, like the first thing he did was he came in and traded Jay Cutler. Like they had, their Derek Carr, Carr's better than color, but they had their Derek Carr and they waltzed in and traded him and they said, we're going to get Tim Tebow. Yeah. I do not remember who started the first year because I don't believe Tebow started that first year. Josh McDaniel was I want to talk about the guy who hired Josh McDaniel at Denver and then he was like, that first year was garbage, but that next year when he wasn't there, we went to the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we got rid of this guy, as soon we as we got playoffs. rid of this guy, we started so, soaring. Here's the thing though. Like Josh McDaniels being a bad head coach with the Denver Broncos basically a decade ago, right? At this point, that was a long time ago. That doesn't mean he's going to be a bad head coach now, right? The, right. It's there's, there's been a decade in between. He's been back with the Patriots, spent one year with the Rams, which is back with the Patriots for that entire time, right? He even, he even helped the media knew to ask Josh McDaniels about his time with the Broncos. He got asked about it when he was in his press conference and he talked about how when he was the head coach with Denver, he was like, I knew some things about football. I didn't know about people. He's basically saying, I didn't know how to lead people. And he's saying that's something that he learned on and got better at. This doesn't mean he's going to be a bad head coach. I just don't understand how in the search process, you don't ask the guy about that. And it goes back to, to my whole thing from this coaching search. Josh McDaniels might be great, right? They might've made a great hire here. The process to get here seems like it was horrible. The process to get to Josh McDaniels, like, and a little quick. Well, it felt the fast. McDaniels part of it was very quick because they didn't interview Josh McDaniels until basically they were hiring mm -hmm. Josh McDaniels because the way this appears to have worked out, they interviewed Dave Ziegler, who was uh, front office with the Patriots. They interviewed him for the GM job, interviewed him early on and then interviewed some more people, then came back to Dave Ziegler. And only when they came back to Dave Ziegler, did it become, oh, we're hiring Josh McDaniels. 
So it was basically a, hey, we hired the GM and the GM talked Mark Davis into Josh McDaniels, right? That's what happened there. Uh, probably not the greatest process, but that's probably fine. But then to have details like this, where you don't even ask the guy about his time in Denver, uh, seems kind of foolish. Well, I also believe that when you're the new general manager who has worked with Josh McDaniels for years, knows him very well. I mean, what kind of question are you going to ask that you're not going to know the answer to? I, I think that well, has the GM didn't to do actually with interview McDaniels, but I'm sure the GM definitely had a huge part in hiring him. It you know, appears I mean, so. Yeah, and that, and that's and I just think that at that point it's one of those situations where as soon as the GM is in, he's like, I got the guy, he's available, let's go get him. Everybody else can have a great interview all they want, but I already know yeah. that I want Josh McDaniels. I'm I'm actually kind of optimistic about Josh McDaniels and the Raiders. Like, I, I am think too. He's, I, here's the thing. I think he's going to be a good offensive coach. I think the Raiders offense is going to be put in good positions to succeed. What's going to determine success, though, I think is going to be, A, well, they've hired the defense coordinator now, but how good they are defensively, and more importantly for the immediate success, is what they do this offseason to help the roster, right? Do they draft well? Do they make good free agent signings? If they do those two things well, I think McDaniels is going to work out well. If they fail in the draft like Gruden and Mayock did, if they fail in free agent signings, they're going to they're gonna be bad. They're going to miss course. the playoffs, yes. and we're going to be looking in two and three years saying what happened here. So I think McDaniels offensively with whatever players they have, they're going to be solid. The offense is going to be fine. The bigger question is going to be, how do they build up this roster? That's going to determine success probably more than anything else that they do. Well, last year, and this is why you have to look at next year and kind of be a little, you know, there's a lot of trepidation looking at the Raiders next year because last year there's no question that they completely overachieved, especially on defense. They overachieved. Can they, if they could do something similar to what they're doing now and have Josh McDaniel, who look, they have the offense that would work for him. Hunter Renfro, I mean, that's pretty much that that is You're just putting white slot receiver no. from guy from New England. I'm just talking about the little guy out there that can just make the quick move that could get open on third and two. And that's what Josh McDaniel's whole offense is based on. Just use these little dump off passes, get three yards, get four yards. And then go over the top. That's always been his offense. And it was his offense with Brady. It was his offense with Mac Jones. And I think the reason why it still looked decent with Mac Jones is why he is now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders is because of the job he did last year with a rookie quarterback. And he even had Cam Newton who, yeah, two years ago, Cam Newton wasn't the Cam Newton. We remember coming out of Auburn. He wasn't the physical freak that we remember at quarterback, but he's still Cam Newton. He still is respected by the players and they couldn't do anything. No. So he comes in with a guy who is more just get rid of the football. And that's Derek Carr. Just get rid of the football. We've always yelled about Derek Carr being capped to check down, but that is that is the offense that McDaniels runs. But he wasn't. Carr, Carr shed that narrative last year. He threw the ball down the field last the year. That's what I'm saying. But my oh thing boy, is, we're going to more checkdowns. Oh, horrifying! They're taking. I, I take everything I said back. I, Terrible always, hire. I hate the. They're I, losing. Every I only game. want there to be. I want there to be less checkdowns if they could get some speed on the field. If they could get speed on the field and let Derek Carr do exactly what he did last year. But when all the speed left his team, he didn't go down the field as much. I'd say Jones was fast. Yeah. No. I mean he's he's fast, but I mean is he the what? type of player that 
Run the other the guy was just run him straight down the field. Do I even want to say the other guy's name? You I mean, can do, say Henry Ruggs. Okay, you can say Henry Ruggs. Okay, not, I didn't know. I didn't it's know not Voldemort over okay. here. I, There's <laughs> a movie reference. Movie reference. You're growing. <laughs> I've seen that. It was in my top four. My it only is. four. Coming up next, we talk to the guys from the Locked On Bengals podcast. We're back to the press box with Grainy and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Locked On Bengals podcast is James Rapine and Jake Lisko. Um, all right, first question for both of you guys. This time last year, early February, how far away did you think the Bengals were from playing for a Super Bowl? Oh, playing for a Super Bowl? Not, not this year. Certainly, I would say that. I, I think that, uh, you know, there was certainly a path to them making a postseason run this year, and I wouldn't have denied that. Uh, but there were so many factors, right? Uh, Joe Burrow's knee being one of them. Um, what do they do with the fifth pick? All of these things. So I would have said two to three years away, I think, from making this this run that hasn't happened in my lifetime, hasn't happened since 1988. So, uh, yeah, definitely shocking that we're uh, here, that we're at Radio Row covering a Super Bowl. Would you Obviously, coming off an injury would have impacted this, but like this time last year, would you have even considered Joe Burrow in the top tier or the second tier, however you want to break it down, but one of the top two tiers of quarterbacks in the NFL? You know, I thought that in his rookie year, we saw a guy that had all the skills that he needed to be a really good quarterback in the NFL. And the only question, I think, for for a close observer would be, how's he going to react to the knee injury? And if you know the guy's character, you you knew that he was going to work his butt off to get back and come back and be the player that he was at LSU. It took him a little bit of time this year. It took him a little bit of an easing in period to start feeling like himself, to start moving like himself. And it was really the San Francisco game sometime after the bye that it really seemed to click for him. He started. Uh-oh. Dead air from Radio Row. <laughs> this is phenomenal. Dead air from Radio Row. And I think, Gucci, is your mic on? Uh, now it is. Now it is. Yes. <laughs> well, we were talking to James and Jake from Locked on Bengals podcast, but now they're gone. I blame Jared 100%. Yeah. This is not my fault. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't blame Kira. I just like blaming Jared for pretty much anything that goes wrong. And I think this might actually be Jared's fault. This is not my fault, yeah. legitimately. I mean, it might just be equipment's fault. It could be but, equipment's fault. I'm not, yeah. But I'm blaming Jared. He didn't set it up correctly. By the way, the funniest thing yesterday, Gooch. So yesterday, Jared, like, they, they get to Radio Row to get set up or whatever. Apparently, they couldn't get in until 8 a.m which is obviously not ideal for a show that starts at 7 a.m. Uh, and they didn't get set up until 9.45. Our show ends at, at 10. Uh, we got like two minutes of Jared just sheepishly telling us, yeah, I set up the equipment at 9.45. That was his contributions from Radio Row yesterday. It was riveting content. I'm still not sure why we brought him on, but we did. And it was a disaster. He didn't even say he wanted to be on. I just thought it'd be really funny for him to say nothing. <laughs> what happened? Well, um, if you read his Twitter, you would know the guy's got problems. Uh, <laughs> He's fun. I have no disagreements <laughs> with that statement. Good worker. Good worker. Out. I have nothing to contradict that statement. For. <laughs> well, is he a good worker? Let's get him on the air right now. Where's he at? Or where's James and Jake at? We're supposed I to be wish talking I knew. To I don't know. Can we right. cover the, the Cincinnati Bengals talk, I guess? I mean, we've seen games. All right. I will I will give you this because I will uh, aggregate somebody else's work. Ted Wynn of The Athletic uh, wrote about or did a video about the Cincinnati Bengals and their defense. And part of his point was a lot of the success they've had in the postseason 
and throughout the season, but the postseason in particular, is because of how versatile their defense has been. Because they change from whether it's actual formation wise or just coverages that they're playing. And the part of that that I find to be fascinating when you look at the Raiders is we just had the Gus Bradley era, which granted was a one year era, but Gus Bradley essentially played cover three more than anybody else, right? 60% of the time the Raiders were in cover three last year. I don't think anybody else was over 20% of the time playing cover three in the NFL, but Gus Bradley, they were going to play cover three. You knew they were going to play cover three. Meanwhile, the team that's in the Super Bowl will play a hundred different things, a bunch of different ways defensively. So that's one of the things I found interesting. Kira, do we have an update other than you falling out of your chair? Don't judge me. Um, yes, we have James Rapine on here. All right, James, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Right. I have no idea what just happened. You guys just, it just went completely dead from Radio Row. So I'm blaming Jared who's sitting there. It's got to be his fault. But what I wanted to ask you here, <laughs> the Raiders defensively, or not the Raiders, the Bengals defensively, and versatility. I know Ted Wynn did a video on this for the athletic about the uh, yep. Bengals defensive versatility. Like what is it about this defense that allows them to be so versatile and, and how does that make them good and actually win a lot of these playoff games? Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, you, the first question you guys asked was about, uh, you know, vision, right. And, and could you have seen this coming? I certainly couldn't have seen this defense being this multiple and being as good as it's been. It's probably the biggest surprise of the year with the way Lou Anarumo has gone from hottest seat in the building, I think, uh, it's safe to say, including Zach Taylor, to um, innovative, multiple, mad scientists, as some of his uh, players call him. And uh, I think it started in free agency two years ago, the way they attacked and went after guys like DJ Reader and Von Bell. And then this past year, they added Mike Hilton and Chidobe Ouzier and Trey Hendrickson. And, you know, there's other guys that I'm leaving out there, but, all guys that Lou Anarumo said, hey, if we target these players, my defense is going to work. And so I think that's the first thing is you have guys that are, are really versatile that do um, what Lou Anarumo was hoping uh, to do and, and can carry out his vision. But he deserves a lot of credit for how he's, I think, evolved as a defensive coordinator during his three seasons with the Bengals. And, and that's why I think you're going to see uh, a bunch of different looks that we probably didn't see against the Chiefs. And uh, it's why one week they can shut down Derrick Henry, and then the next they can hold Patrick Mahomes to just three points in the second half. They they change, they evolve week to week, and uh, Lou Anarumo has done a great job of cooking up uh, different schemes, different looks uh, for different offenses. And the Bengals, they have no superstars on their defense. It's really a no-name defense. Yeah. But you look at Trey Hendrickson, double-digit sacks, how is he viewed around the rest of the league, or is he just uh, viewed as a sum of his parts? I think he certainly was viewed that way before uh, this year. You know, he was like, ah, well, you're playing with all these great defensive linemen and a great defense and in New Orleans, and you have Dennis Allen, and you got Cam Jordan, and, and then he does what he did this year. And you're right, there is no superstar on this defense, right? You have young linebackers like Jermaine Pratt, Logan Wilson, good, not great cornerbacks. Jesse Bates, you thought he might be uh, that star-level player, but took a step back in the uh, regular season, has been really good in the playoffs. But um, to your point, yeah, there's no superstar, and yet Trey Hendrickson still had 14 sacks, uh, a Bengals record, franchise record this this offseason, or this season. They only had 17 sacks as a team last year. So he's uh, he might not be a superstar across the country, but uh, the Bengals certainly view him that way, and that's why they signed him. And I 
I know a lot of people that rolled their eyes when they paid him and, and agreed to pay him, uh, you know, a four-year, sixty million dollar deal, and uh, now they're they're laughing at it because he's been he's been great and he's been a, a game changer, certainly not only in the regular season but in the postseason. James Rapine with us from the Locked On Bengals podcast. Uh, I don't know if there's an easy way to describe it, but how do the Bengals make this work without a good offensive line? Oh, well, it starts with Joe Burrow and, and the fact that he just has been a magician in the pocket in recent weeks. And, uh, you know, certainly against the Chiefs, I mean, they, they pressured him over 40% of his dropbacks, and he was only sacked once. So, you know, that, that doesn't mean that the offensive line was better than they were against Tennessee when he was sacked nine times in the divisional round. I just think he played at such a high level and knew what the Chiefs were trying to do to him. And, and so that's really what they're banking on again. I mean, they're not going to block Aaron Donald. That would be crazy <laughs> to think, right? And, you know, they're going to throw double teams. And, hell, they might triple team him with, you know, two offensive linemen and then have a running back waiting for him as well. But I still don't think it's necessarily going to work. And what this game could come down to is, will Joe Burrow be able to, to make Donald and, and Von Miller and, and these guys buy enough time so he can get the ball uh, downfield to his weapons in space. And, you know, the Bengals have been able to overcome it. The Tennessee game was where it was uh, toughest, I think. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's going to be a similar situation on Sunday where you, you have other guys besides Donald. Obviously, I mentioned him, but Von Miller, you have Leonard Floyd. And, uh, you know, the list goes on and on of guys that could put heat on Burrow. So uh, I think it's going to come down to Burrow and this scheme, getting the ball out of his hands quick and him working his, his magic that we've seen over the past few weeks. Around the league, what is Burrow's number one quality? You hear about the swag, you hear about yeah. the accuracy, you hear about the cool under pressure, but around the league, how is he viewed? I think it's the mental aspect of things, his ability to, uh, you know, consume information, diagnose it, and then read defenses, uh, you know, in, in the moment, not just on a whiteboard, which there's certainly a big difference of that. But, yeah, he's uh, – I think that's what really separates him because he's not the fastest guy. He doesn't have the biggest arm. Yeah, he's got swag, but a lot of guys, you know, there are other quarterbacks that have swag that haven't had this type of success. I think it's, you know, his football acumen, his ability to diagnose and read defenses and understand and adjust in the middle of a game, in the middle of a play. And, you know, the biggest defense to me, or the biggest difference to me from the AFC championship game in, in the divisional round was Burrow was confused some against the Titans, and he wasn't confused against the Chiefs and knew what they were, were trying to do to him. And uh, we'll see if he can kind of diagnose things and figure things out against this Rams defense on Sunday. James, before we let you go, uh, answer this question for us. Wide receiver edition at the Super Bowl. Bleep, Mary kill. Odell Beckham, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase. Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> this is a little unfair, I, I, by the way. We know who he's is, marrying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you got to marry Jamar, right? He's younger, and it, it seems like he's got, you, you know, probably more. I don't know. Does he have more upside than Cup? I, I don't know. Maybe. Um, then uh, Bleep Cup, of course. And he's been the best receiver in football this year. And then Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, I'm sorry, Odell. I know you're a star, but. Uh, Fourth guy you know. to kill Odell yes, today. Odell has been killed by four He's been people. killed today. <laughs> yeah. Four so times. Has anyone else married Jamar? Uh, yes, we are now two and two on marrying okay. Cooper Cup versus marrying Jamar Chase. So an even split right. there, but nobody likes Odell Beckham. He is James <laughs> Rapine from the Locked On Bengals podcast. James, thank you so much. Of course. Thanks, fellas. All right. Coming up next, if we can trust Jared, Sam Monson joins us from Radio Row. This is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff.
Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Sam Monson. All right, Sam, important Super Bowl question. Uh, bleep, Mary kill, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, Jamar Chase. Oh, God. Um, probably Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, Odell Beckham in that order. All right, so you're marrying Jamar Chase. Yeah. All right, you've tipped the scales. We now have three people that have married Jamar Chase today, and only two have married Cooper Cup. Nobody wants Odell Beckham, not even for one night of fun. No, I mean, I think I think everybody's been burned a little bit too much. He's, he's definitely repairing the reputation and headed back in the right direction, but you can't, can't take that kind of risk anymore. But my thing is, is, like, let's just say you do – you know, hook up with Odell and you don't do a good job, then his dad is going to post a video <laughs> and everyone's going to know. <laughs> yeah, right. that's, that's an awkward, but that's an awkward spot to head down potentially. On wide receivers, because like here in Las Vegas, the Raiders are probably going to draft or sign a uh, wide receiver this off season. How much have guys like Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson sort of ruined the expectation for rookie wide receivers? I don't think they've ruined it. I think what they're showing is that it's very reasonable to expect like elite um, production out of some of these guys immediately. And okay, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, those are like the high end. Those are rare, historically, historical outliers, and you can't expect any guy you draft in the first round to be that. But I think kind of lost in, in the Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson thing is that there's been a lot of really productive receivers as rookies in the first couple of years uh, or in the last couple of years, and you can expect a rookie receiver to be good and to make a significant impact and to do really impressive things, even if every guy isn't setting records and um, doing all kinds of you know crazy stuff. There's actually a pretty good strike rate of these guys being very successful right away. And you know you look at this most recent draft class. Devontae Smith was pretty good. I think held back by that passing game in Philadelphia more than he was held back by whatever limitations he has. Jalen Waddle was setting some records, and again, that wasn't a great passing offense in Miami as well. So I think what you're seeing now is that the group of wide receivers that comes into the NFL every year, seemingly, is so incredibly deep. And, okay, every now and again, you're going to draft a guy like Jalen Rager, who just doesn't seem like he's working out, and you're still going to miss, right? You're still going to have draft busts. But I think the chances now of hitting on a guy is much higher than it used to be, and you can start to rely on those guys being significant contributors to your offense right away. Do we start talking about rookie wide receivers the same way we talk about rookie quarterbacks in terms of the value on the contract compared to what you have to pay the big name free agents? Yeah, it's a good question. Somebody emailed in our podcast recently asking about that and whether, you know, if you have a quarterback, say, that isn't on a rookie contract, if you have one of these guys that you're sure of, but now you're paying big money to on a second contract, you know, Patrick Mahomes or uh, Josh Allen or these guys that have gotten the monster money, do you start to cycle through wide receivers on their rookie contracts and try and maximize that value and say, you know, treat them almost like running backs, that you draft these guys, you play out that first contract, and then as soon as they're due big money, that's when you go uh, and draft another guy and bring, bring him in. And every now and again, you're going to run into that problem of drafting one of those busts, and that's going to cause a setback but it might be a pretty good way of maximizing that value versus contract situation. I, the other thing I'm curious about that we've seen from the Bengals this year, when it comes to how you should properly build your team, how should we look at the Bengals offensive line, given that they're here in the Super Bowl? Joe Burrow has been successful despite being the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. Like 
how do you take what the Bengals have done and sort of apply that to the optimal way to build a team? I think what they are, what they should take from it first and foremost, forget everybody else for a moment. What the Bengals need to do is what the chargers did last year, which is recognize that the play of Joe Burrow in the face of pressure this year has been unusual and rare and probably not something you can bank on long-term. And it's been enough to offset the fact that the offensive line is still a problem. And the offensive line is better than it was a year ago when it was terrible and, you know, an inevitability that Burrow was going to get hurt at some point. This year it's been better, uh, but it's still not fixed. It's still not good. It still needs work. And as much as Burrow has been able to get it done and might get it done one more game, you know, win a, a Super Bowl, at the end of it all, you can't rely on him doing that again next year. It's just pressure and how quarterbacks play under pressure is way too unsustainable to be able to guarantee that kind of play year on year. So the Chargers, I think, were really smart a season ago recognizing that and uh, overhauling that offensive line despite the fact that Justin Herbert was the best-graded quarterback in the league last year under pressure. And the Bengals would be smart to do the same thing this year, recognize that what Burrow is doing right now is it shouldn't happen. It's unusual. It's It's an anomaly. It's not something that you can rely on happening year on year, and they need to keep working on that line. You know the Rams are going to do what they can to stop that Joe Burrow-Jamar Chase connection. Who else is going to have to step up on the Bengals' offense? Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting, firstly, to see if they use Jalen Ramsey to track uh, Jamar Chase. I doubt they will. The, the times they've done that and they don't do it much is when the opposing uh, offense only really has one big weapon a receiver and everybody else they're comfortable enough with uh, – living uh, with what they can do. So I, I doubt they're going to use him to track Jamar Chase, which means they're going to have to take him away, you know, with the defensive scheme and with bracket coverage and with uh, rolling coverage in that direction and disguise. You know, the Rams do a lot of uh, pre-snap to post-snap uh, rolling of safeties and disguising their coverage looks and just causing the quarterback to have to hold the ball a half a beat and figure out exactly what the coverage is post-snap rather than knowing where you're going pre-snap. So I think all those things are just going to have to play a part in trying to take away Jamar Chase and forcing the ball to somewhere else. But the Bengals have receivers that can make that work. T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, those are guys that have been extremely productive when the ball has been forced their way. When you got a front seven like the Rams have and one of the worst offensive lines like the Bengals have, what do the Bengals got to do to be able to move the ball? Are they going to be able to run the ball? No, probably not. Um, It's going to be a very tricky thing to try and overcome. They've been riding their luck for a while now, even in these playoffs with Jeffrey Simmons and Chris Jones destroying the offensive line. Aaron Donald is a better player than either of those guys, and he brings friends to the table. They've got Von Miller, obviously. They've got guys that can really cause issues. Um, So they're going to have their work cut out, and it's not the interior pressure in particular is a really difficult thing to try and – fix to try and patch up like when you're dealing with an edge rusher you can dedicate a tight end pretty much every play and chip that guy you can make sure running backs are chipping him out of their their releases with an interior guy particularly on the right side uh right guard it's very difficult to kind of make sure that that guy is consistently double teamed and and taken out of the play i think they're going to have to try and do it with quick passing getting the ball out of burrow's hands quickly and uh potentially trying to run around the perimeter, but that makes you very predictable and very sort of one-dimensional. Um, it's, that's their biggest challenge in this game. I have one NFL draft question for you. Well, two and one. Who's the best quarterback in the NFL draft, and how high should they be taken? 
Nobody knows who the best quarterback in the NFL draft is this year. I think it's a chaotic landscape, and there's going to be there's going to be dozens of different rankings with these guys. I don't think anybody has really distanced themselves yet as the clear number one prospect. If I was rolling the dice on one of these guys, the, the sort of recent history of some of these toolsy quarterbacks working out, I would take a shot at Malik Willis. I think that guy brings insane upside to the table. And you can imagine what he might be if it all works out. Um, it would still be risky. I think ultimately one of them is going to go in the top 10 somewhere. Like that's what happens with quarterbacks. You just can't afford to let those guys slide and slide and slide down the first round. Because if you need a quarterback, nothing else matters. How many skateboarders have you seen? Oh, a lot. There's skateboards on every corner here in Los Angeles. That's the, <laughs> the single biggest defining characteristic of the city so far. He is Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Sam, we appreciate your time today. Anytime, guys. Take it easy. So there is Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. Yeah, he tweeted this morning, nothing defines LA more than skateboard to people ratio off the charts. Now, is it the longboard or the regular skateboard? Probably both, I would yeah. assume. Because I think the longboard is specifically, I'm not going to say specifically, but I mean, that's a California staple. That's a California staple. Yeah, the skateboard, the regular skateboard, that's everywhere. Skateboards are everywhere. We just don't have a lot of sidewalks here in Vegas. I say, I don't see a lot of skateboards in Las Vegas. Right. We do have skate parks at parks. Right. Un, un, I feel like an unusual amount of skate parks at parks. Well, that's the worst part about Vegas. It's like the people that skate, they can't skate to the skate park. They got to drive to the <laughs> skate park so they can skate. But they could be going green, cutting back on these emissions. If we just had some sidewalks, I'm all about sidewalks, Vegas. Let's fix the country. Let's do the old, old man show here. All mm. right. You're about sidewalks. I'm going to give Las Vegas credit for a city in the desert. We have a lot of parks. Okay. It's either sidewalks or hoverboards, one or the other, from Back to the Future 2. Have you seen Back to the Future 2? Get out of America. You already knew he hadn't seen it because it's not in his top five. Mm. I'm top sorry, four. top four. Top I four. added to that during the break, by the way. I need to say you this did on air. the top five. Jurassic Park oh, is God. in the top five movie series. I have seen Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. John Wick needs to be involved in everyone's top five series movie series list. I've never seen it. It's highly violent. I didn't know John Wick was a movie until the Golden Knights used their little song. It's highly violent and it's meant to bring families together. I don't know. Okay, That doesn't not. sound That's probably right. I at know. all. Coming up next, find out what other movies I haven't seen. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Here's a fun tweet from Andrew Siciliano. The Texans press conference introducing Lovey Smith was interrupted by a fire alarm and an announcement asking people to evacuate. Nice. Good start to the Lovey Smith era in yeah. Houston. That's a good way to avoid any Brian Flores questions right there. They're just like, uh, pull the alarm. <laughs> Do you know how funny of a PR strategy that would be? If when they ask a Funny bad question, or brilliant. when they ask a bad question, pull the fire alarm. Oh God. <laughs> Why hasn't this been done a thousand times already? <laughs> That'd be phenomenal. All right. I have not answered our most important question of the day. And that is bleep, Mary kill Cooper cup, Odell Beckham and Jamar Chase. Okay. Let's let it. And now I want detailed explanation as to why all three get what they get. I am marrying Jamar Chase. Okay. Younger model. He's the youngest of the three. Had a terrific season. 
He wasn't he seems, as broken as before. Right. Cooper Cup's had injury problems, right? Like there's yeah, bad relationships. Had any issues yet. Remember also, I think he might be fun. Remember his whole, I can't see the ball because it doesn't have white stripes on it in the preseason. Right. And we jumped on him for that. We did. It was a great thing to jump on him for. Might be fun. Also, he makes very good decisions for his career. Remember, he sat out the COVID year from LSU. He was like, I'm getting drafted early. I'm not playing a COVID year for LSU. Very good decision for his career. Did not impact him at all. He weighed the pros and cons, made the right decision. I like Jamar Chase a lot. I am bleeping Odell Beckham Jr. Wow, you're the only one and that kills killing the best Cooper wide Cup. receiver in football. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes, I am killing Cooper Cup. And the reason is, like, I would marry Cooper Cup before I'd marry Odell Beckham. Cooper Cup's been phenomenally consistent. Great marriage partner. Not uh, great choice to marry Cooper Cup. But is it going to make your friends jealous? What? The Cooper Cup marriage. Possibly. I mean, it's not flashy. But I like Jamar Chase better than Cooper Cup. But here's the reason why I'm killing Cup and bleeping Odell Beckham. The whole premise of this is like it's one fun time. I feel like I'm going to have more fun that one time with Odell Beckham than I am with Cooper Cup. Okay. The downside to Odell Beckham is being with him for too long. That's what I'm saying. It's like with Odell Beckham, it's going to be a, uh, what do you call it? A, a, one of those like breakneck romances where it's like, Hey, this seems great, but then hold on a second. Odell doesn't put away his socks. Right. Odell doesn't clean and I'm up not after dealing himself. With that. I'm just one time. It's great. Remember the one handed catch he made when he was at the giants. One of the greatest catches we've ever seen, right? Yeah. Has Cooper Cup ever done that? No. Cooper Cup's great. Great wide receiver. But he just catches everything I'm, that comes his way. I'm here for the absolute peak. The absolute most fun I can have in one night. You see, you're treating... And your, that's Odell Beckham. You see, you're treating your marriages like... This uh, is not the marriage. I married okay. Jamar Chase. Okay. But a lot of long-term potential but you're, with Jamar Chase. But you're treating this... this difference between Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham. You're, you're, you're looking at Cooper Cup where it's like, oh, great chick, you know... Like or, or great cups, incredible, great person. You know what I mean? Your friends are going to like him. Your, your mom's going to like him. Ah, you know, this person's just so nice. Odell is going to be so much more fun, right? Covered in tattoos. When you go, when, when you bring Odell to meet mom, he's probably going to do the gritty. It's just like, he's not meeting mom though. That's, this is, this is one yes, night. It's a one night. Jamar thing. Chase is going to meet mom. You're right. And I'm down with that. So if you're going, so Jamar Chase, these thing is those Jamar Chase young, we don't know how it's going to be the the remainder of his career. You're right. It could go very poorly, so but Cooper, I, I think it'll go well. Yeah. I, I think it'll go well. This is why I don't think by guys like myself, when, you know, I got a divorce at, at 42 years old, I don't think you should ever marry like 22 God, when you're, you're 45. Old. When you're 42, you don't do it. There's too much of a separation. You don't. Wait, you, you're saying when you're 42, you shouldn't marry somebody that's 22. Yes. Okay. I don't think I, because that. That is not a hot take, but continue. That's right. <laughs> Well, here's the thing, though. It's a hot take if I'm talking to millionaires. They're like, what do you mean you don't marry 22? 42, what? You mean 72. What, what, well, I'm talking about the 72-year-old millionaires. Right. They're trying to marry I'm saying if we're talking years. about just rich people marrying yes. Instagram models, they're, they're yes. 72, not 42. Yeah, and it's gross. But, sure. but my thing is, though, is like, what kind of a relationship can you expect with that? That's why I look at Cooper Cup and go, okay, marriage material, Jamar Chase, fresh out the box, but we don't know. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I'm also not 42 like you. And we also know what Cooper Cup how they deal with their baggage. That's why older women and just why older people in general, and as opposed Man, to their twenties, you almost went down that misogynistic yes, route. I just want to talk about people Good in your twenties backing off of that. If you're in your twenties, you're probably dumb. There's your hot take right there.
Except Kira, Kira's you're great. very offended. So so wow, smart, so rude. smart. Not you. We know you've we, we you've watched enough Marvel movies to be able to figure out the world. Kira, oh, I hate bleep, Mary, <laughs> kill, Cooper, Cup, Jamar Chase, Odell Beckham. Okay, so I'm gonna go strictly based on. Um, you're gonna go by looks. I'm gonna go strictly based on looks That's because I googled them. Phenomenal. <laughs> Just to look, see what they look like. Um, that. You're gonna go. What Odell. are you googling again? So I'm going to marry Cup. Wow. Right. Right. Okay. Then I'm going to. She's actually studying the bone she structure is. of I Jamar am. Chase and She's trying to figure Cooper. out what her kids are going to look like. I and- really want to give you a detailed. We have 30 seconds. So Jamar Chase. Just kill one already. I'm going to kill Jamar Chase. Oh, oh Jamar Chase Jamar. got killed. And, then, and you're bleeping Odell Beckham. Oh, all right. Man. Oh, well. Yeah. Sorry. Just I ruined the stats. The last, the last two times we played this game went off the rails. Did it go off the rails? Well, yeah, you were no, the only one that you were the only one that didn't kill Odell. I mean, you're the one that almost insulted all of women. 